And many, if not most, of what we're hearing is designed to shape us, to influence us, to, to guide us, to win us over, to get us to a certain place or a certain behavior. Words are being spoken constantly to us, and many of them are coming from places of authority. And Jesus comes into that and says, but I say to you. And he had no more authority when he said it the first time than I have today. I can't change this. I can't change this town's behavior. I can't change your behavior. <laughs> I can't change what happens at county council. I can't change what happens in schools or in universities or in the state government or in my nation. But I do know this, I have heard it said. And Jesus said, I know that. And thus I know what I prayed this morning. I know that if I truly am his, as opposed to just thinking I'm his, or faking that I'm his, if I'm truly his, I abide in his word. I live in it. I live for it. I des desire it to be in possession of my heart, in possession of my mind, in possession of my will, so that by God's grace, there might be a moment in my life when I would not be ashamed before my Lord. And that there would be more than one moment, and there would be minutes, and there would be hours, there might be days, there would be weeks. By God's grace, there might be a month or two when I need not be ashamed because I am with all my heart and mind and soul and strength seeking to obey God who has spoken to me and to you in his word. What Jesus is doing in this opening chapter of his ministry on this earth is clarifying for anyone who would follow him that the word of God is the word of God. It was not invented by men. It was not made up. It is not out of date but it's only understandable and it's only livable because Jesus Christ came to fulfill it and to draw all men and women who love him into the place where their inner self desires God's will. Jesus is not come to give us a new set of rules and a new uh, uh, list of laws. And, and what he's after here and what he seems to me to be saying is he's wanting these people to hear what I hope we're hearing more and more here at Christ the King Grace. I can't live this way. I can't live the way this Jesus is teaching. I can't do this. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You steal from me, I'm going to steal back. You sue me, I'll sue you back. 
He's wanting these people to recognize, and us, that he's come in a very different way than any of them have known before. And he's wanting them to begin to grasp that the only way they can ever begin to live as disciples of Jesus and please God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is if they're changed from the inside out. They have to be changed from the inside out. This will not happen because you sit under his teaching just alone. It won't happen because you listen to a sermon. It won't happen because you wear a collar. It will only happen if God changes you on the inside. And nobody gets changed on the inside as long as they think they're all right on the outside. As long as they think they know what they're doing, as long as they think they need no help, as long as they're convinced they're better than somebody else, maybe most of somebody else's, as long as they think they know what's best for the business, as long as they think they know what's best for the school, as long as they know, think they know what's best for the church, name them. As long as they're president, as long as they're a senator, and they think they know what they're doing, they haven't met the Lord Jesus Christ and understood him. They may have hung around him, but they haven't understood him. Because he hasn't put them in positions of responsibility for them to do their will, but his. And that applies to the priest of a parish, even an interim. It applies to a teacher. It applies to a governor. It applies to a father or a mother. It applies to anyone with any responsibility at all for the lives and well-being of others. If they belong to Christ, they know it. And if they don't, they don't. Two things happened this morning very early uh, in the day that threw me from my preparation for the last two weeks for this morning. And one of them was um, a man of the parish who was here earlier to apologize that he couldn't keep an appointment with me tomorrow. And he couldn't keep the appointment because there's a crisis in his company. And the crisis is in another city in another state and the company, the people in charge of his life, have said, we need you to go and, and see if you can sort it out. And so tomorrow morning early, he'll get on a plane and he'll fly to another city and be gone for a few days. And he'll try to fix something that's gone amiss in a company. Everyone in this room understands how that works. When the church is going astray, God raises up men and women to speak the truth. The second thing that happened to me this morning was as I read the collect, the prayer appointed for this Sunday, I read it twice now today, once at nine and once here. 
And as I read it, it was as though the Lord said, I didn't hear a voice, but it was in, in the inner workings of my soul. It was like, wrong sermon. It's not something a preacher looks forward to, but a faithful preacher knows that it happens from time to time. You try to be faithful in your preparation. You try to do what seems right. But as I read the collect, I, I realized the prayer in which we, actually, I, I think I'll, I'll quickly get it in front of my eyes. The collect, in the collect, we ask God to cleanse and defend the church because it cannot continue in safety without his help. It cannot continue in the truth without his help. And so we ask God to cleanse the church and to defend the church. And as I read it at the nine o'clock service, I realized it was written by Thomas Cramner in about 1548. And within a year or so, he would be burned at the stake because he believed the prayer. Burned at the stake. If you can imagine a more horrific way to die, I can't. Maybe crucifixion is even more horrific. Either one is not a pretty picture. He was burned at the stake because he thought the church in his time and his country were in great peril. And because of his faithfulness and his gift to us, 500 years we've prayed one of the Sundays every month this prayer. Please, Lord, if you don't cleanse us, if you don't, if you don't reform us, if you don't put right what's gone wrong among us, we're in deep trouble. And if you don't defend us, we'll never continue in the truth. We won't be safe. And so we ask the Lord, the king of whom there is no other king like this, to be that for us. Now, beloved, never in my lifetime has that prayer needed to be prayed more than today for the church, by which I mean wherever people are gathered today. I don't care if they're Pentecostal holiness, I don't care if they're Lutheran, Roman Catholic, Baptist, Independent Methodist, Southern Methodist, Eastern Methodist, Northern Methodist. You Methodists will know I'm teasing you. Wherever men and women meet today in the name of Jesus Christ, the issue is you have heard it said. And you're following it. But I say to you, the Lord must reform the church. She is in great peril. And because the church is in peril, the nations are in peril. I was thinking early yesterday morning, it's my habit as I've gotten older to be awake early in the morning. And as I was thinking and praying yesterday morning, I was remembering my grandparents. I know I've referred to them before. I was privileged to know all four of my grandparents and to grow up and to pretty much my, yeah, all, all the way into my adult years before any one of them died. 
My mother's parents lived in the same town that I lived in, the same small town, so I saw them way more than my Schuler grandparents. And neither my grandfather, Campion, nor my grandmother, Campion, went beyond the eighth grade. But they were well-educated people. They were literate. They were well-informed about our country and its laws. They knew our Constitution. They knew the Declaration of Independence. They knew, they knew many things. They were never once in my entire life while they were alive did I think, too bad they didn't get a good education. I never thought that, not once. I can promise you, I think it all the time with people that I know have gone through four years of college education these days. I encounter it with some regularity. They could read, they could write, they could keep accounts. They knew the laws, they were kind, they were gentle, they were faithful. They were filled with love and joy and peace. The fruit of the Spirit abounded in them. And they were well-educated. And they were educated a hundred years ago in the same country I live in, in the public schools. And I say to myself, how are things different today? Well, it's pretty easy to start making a list. In those days, the moral law that God gave to Israel and through Israel to the whole world was believed. It was believed. It was believed to be the underpinning of our nation. It didn't have to be spoken about. People believed that it was wrong to take the name of the Lord in vain. It was wrong to set up idols and worship other things than the only king above all kings. It was wrong to be disobedient to parents and not to honor them. It was wrong to lie and cheat and steal and betray your spouse. It was wrong to covet. And everybody knew that. It was just in the air, if you will. And in those days, the vast majority of all the people of our nation were professing Christians. They professed to be followers of Jesus. They were baptized, some as infants, some as adults. It was just part of what was true in our country. And at that time, the laws and the rules were based in God's law and God's truth. And at that time, overwhelmingly, the children of our nation grew up with their own father and their own mother. Families were intact, overwhelmingly intact. Were there sinners? Yes. Were there profligate people? Yes. Were there liars? Yes. Were there cheats? Yes. Were there disobedient children? Yes. But overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, my grandmother and grandfather were educated for eight years in communities that taught them to love the Lord their God with all their heart.
and with all their soul and with all their strength and to love their neighbor as their self and educated them in practical and needful skills. It was a different country. Now, we heard from the reading that Vinnie read from the Apostle Paul, a passage about stewardship. It's not exactly, um, the, the message of that particular section is not exactly directed in the way that I'm trying to call us to all think about and pray about. But there is a phrase that I did want to capture, and that is this, uh, that it is required of stewards that they be trustworthy. When God makes us parents, we become stewards of our children. When God makes us or appoints us to any office or any job or any duty of his choosing, we become stewards And it is required of stewards that they be trustworthy. If it should fall to a man or a woman to be elected to an office, they are stewards and they are to be trustworthy. God Almighty claims all the peoples of the earth, all the lawgivers of the earth, all the legislatures of the earth, all the judges of the earth, all the parents of the earth, all the teachers of the earth, to walk before him and be holy as he himself is holy. I became worried about my own soul in the 1960s. I think I became worried about my soul because I saw by an extrapolation that the things I was doing wrong were getting done wrong by lots and lots of people. And knowing they were wrong, knowing they were wrong because I was raised in the tail end of that old America. I began to worry that I was going wrong. I began to be aware of my sins. I began to be aware of the way I was disobeying what I'd been taught was right and true. And I repented and returned to the Lord as a child of the church and now a young man. By the 70s, I was worried about my church. I grew up in the Episcopal Church and I was worried about her in the 70s. And I thought at the time, maybe it was just where I lived. I thought at the time, maybe it was just an exceptional problem in the particular portion of America that I lived in. I couldn't conceive that it was a problem across the whole of the church. But by the 80s, I knew it was. By the 80s, I knew, I knew the church of my birth was heading in a direction that was leading men and women to hell in the name of God. 
and I stepped into the fire a bit. And I began to try to speak and preach and travel around the country and to find people that would wake up. Wake up, please God. Let us be awakened. Let us be cleansed. Let us be reformed. Let us repent. Let us come back to you. You've called us by your name. Don't cast us off. And I got cast off. I thank God I didn't get burned in the fire. And then I moved to Polly's Island. I had no idea what was coming. My worries about the church extended rapidly in the 90s into the nation. I really began to believe and still do that the main reason so many things have gone wrong in our nation started in the Episcopal Church. The Episcopal Church had a role. It had a stewardship. It had a calling. It had a respect in the nation, particularly among leaders, particularly among people who were well-educated. And it forfeited its stewardship. It proved untrustworthy. And following in her footsteps came other denominations and other movements and other voices. If the Lord doesn't build the house, the builders labor in vain. Our forefathers and foremothers honestly and prayerfully and faithfully believed that God gave them the opportunity to rebuild in this land with him. They had heard it said, but they were listening to him. Only God knows what, what's coming. Only God knows, but this I know. The voices that are not the Lord's are prevailing. And even though we're doing our best with the children that God has entrusted to us, they are swimming in a culture that wants them here and not here. That wants to take them captive rather than to see them surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Taking them into their idea of what's right rather than into what God says is right. Into their laws rather than the law of God. And we can't let it happen, even if we have to give our lives. We can't. We have to say stop. We have to say no more. We're not gonna let this happen on our watch during our stewardship because we will give an account. You will give an account and I will give an account. God in his wonderful mercy will, the word that comes from my heart and mind, I hope it doesn't offend, the Lord will snatch his own 
from the fire to eternity. But they may give their life on this earth because he is the king above all kings. He is the God above all who are called gods. He's the almighty one. He's the only healer. He's the only judge. He's the only ruler and teacher that matters. And he's told us so. And he gave us a nation in which we could protect it and hallow it and pass it on to our children and our children's children. And in the fullness of time, be partners with God that the earth would be covered with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. We have a stake in the future of the whole world because we belong to Christ. But it begins in our own homes. It begins our own town. It begins in our own schools. It begins in the places where we have any influence or responsibility. And it is required of us as stewards that we be found trustworthy. Let us pray. Dear Lord God, I feel my unworthiness in preaching this sermon. But I do believe, Lord, that you are calling us to a new level of faithfulness in our day. No matter where we are now serving, no matter how helpless we might feel, and I ask that each of us would ask you to guide and correct and discipline and teach what must be taught and then what must be lived that your honor and glory would be our heart's desire. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're summing up the faith of the church through the ages at the, in this season by using what's called the Apostles' Creed, and you can find it on page 20 in the red book in the, in the chairs, which is the Book of Common Prayer. I think it will be printed. Let's stand and join together in confessing the faith of those who follow Jesus. <clears throat>